Oh, yes, memes would be appreciated. Welcome to Tech Tales. I'm Corbin Davenport. I'm Lucas Bastos. And today we are talking about the Apple IIGS, which was a Apple computer released in the 1980s. It was a 16-bit computer. Do you know anything about this? Honestly, I am not too well-versed in the um, Apple IIGS, so it's going to be very interesting to learn about it with you. Okay. Do you know uh, anything about the Apple II? Oh, man. So, I mean, I've, I've heard stuff here and there about it. I don't know too much about the history. I, I know, so the Apple II was kind of like the, the first big computer for Apple? Is that yeah. correct? Or is this, was it, okay. Yeah, it was their first, uh, like, mass-produced computer. Because before then, it was just the Apple I, which was, like, a board they sold. And then you'd have yeah. to, like, put it together and, like, make your own case and stuff. Um, oh, okay, got yeah. Yeah. Which is why when the uh, Apple ones show up at auctions for way too much money, um, some of them have cool wooden cases and stuff. Because, like, you, you'd have to build your own. <laughs> like, they didn't yeah. do that for you. Yeah, I think I think I saw a recent one. I don't, I don't remember how long ago that went up for auction. It was like, yeah, it was made out of wood. And I don't know how much it went for. I think it went for, went for a good amount of money, right? Yeah, they're a lot of money. Because they were all hand-assembled by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. But... Yeah, so the Apple II computer was released in June of 1977 as an 8-bit personal computer, and it was Apple's second product after the hand-built Apple I. It had a MOS Technology 6502 CPU running at 1.023 megahertz. It had uh, 4 kilobytes of RAM, upgradable to 48, support for color graphics, and for storage, you could use either cassette tapes or a five and a quarter inch floppy drive. The first model was priced at $1,298, which adjusted for inflation in 2023 is $6,500. Yeah, sounds like a, a beast of a computer there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, it's really funny looking back at, at the pricing for this stuff. Because like, this was one of the first computers that you could just like buy and plug in and it would it would be a computer like you didn't assemble mm -hmm. anything you still had to have like a monitor and like some storage drive if you wanted to save your stuff but even that wasn't strictly necessary and a lot of people yeah. bought these and just plugged it into their tvs so i have a picture of an apple II. okay yeah i think i've seen this ad before but yeah definitely a lot different than the computers we see today the Apple II ended up being one of the first successful series of mass-produced personal computers, and Apple later introduced other models that had more compact designs or uh, more memory built-in or more video options. Um, the most popular model, the Apple IIe, was sold for nearly 11 years with only minor changes. However, most of them retained the same basic 6502 chip running at 1 megahertz with the same exact graphics so over time that kind of became a little bit less impressive really where this computer took off was schools like this is the reason apple was dominant in schools in the 80s and for some of the 90s is just because schools bought a ton of these things 
the Apple III in 1980 and the Apple Lisa in 1983 were both market failures. We did an episode about the Apple Lisa. So the Apple II series just kept going. And in 1984, Apple introduced the first Macintosh computer. The first Mac was pretty limited, and also it was extremely expensive, like far more than the Apple II, so there was still a reason for the Apple II series to exist. Around 1983 and 1984, Steve Wozniak and other engineers at Apple were working on a new 16-bit model called the Apple IIx. And this one was designed around the new 65816 processor from Western Design Center, which was a 16-bit processor, so the original Apple II was 8-bit. And what was really cool about this chip is that it had an 8-bit emulation mode. So... In theory, Apple could make a computer with this chip that could run new software, but could still have backwards compatibility with the Apple II. And that's a uh, hardware or software emulation. It's hardware, yeah. So it can hardware like, oh, yeah, awesome, yeah. And like that was that was especially cool for the day because like it, it is hard to wrap your head around this now, but back then, most computers were not intercompatible. <laughs> Like yeah. the, you had different software in all of them, different disk formats, like even upgrades in the same uh, computer line might not be compatible with each other. So that was that would have been very cool. However, early production samples provided by WDC were constantly failing. <laughs> that chip didn't work. <laughs> uh, so Wozniak's team considered using maybe a Motorola 6800 or an Intel 8088, which was the first like x86 chip uh, on a separate board as a coprocessor while keeping the apple II 6502 chip which would still let it run apple II software but then give it a huge performance bump but then you have to have two chips and a more complex design so that's going to be more expensive um and then eventually this this was sort of canceled in around like march 1984 it just didn't turn out to be practical but eventually, Apple's management decided to try again at the idea of a 16-bit Apple II because uh, this was around the time when the Apple IIc was released, which kind of renewed interest in this product line. The Apple IIc was... Uh, the, the C meant compact, I think, but it was like a smaller one. It wasn't as upgradable, but it was smaller and it was very cheap. So mm. there's a lot more interest in this product line now. Kind of, It's kind of cool that the... I guess, you know, they haven't done it recently. The last one was the iPhone what, 5C, right? They kind of brought the C back for yeah. a little smaller, cheaper one. It's, it's kind of cool that they kind of had a little throwback to that. And that C was for color also, which I think they need right. to bring back. Those were some fun colors on that one. Yeah, and those were pretty popular too. I remember when, when that phone came out, it was like, I feel like a lot of people kind of went with those options. It was, you know, cheaper, had nice colors. It was, what it was made plastic instead of aluminum but it's like yeah i don't think most people really cared no i mean i would i prefer it if i had the option because like if i drop plastic on the floor it's not going to shatter although the apple 2c might actually dent your floor if you dropped it uh. yeah for sure <laughs> so the apple 2x project was revived under the code name phoenix with a focus on developing a true apple 2 upgrade and not a completely new design steve wozniak helped design the computer and the team decided not to use a coprocessor like the older project for all of those reasons. But before the new computer was completed, Steve Wozniak actually left Apple 
So there was a, a growing division at this time between the Apple II team, where Steve Wozniak was working, and the Macintosh team, which was led by Steve Jobs. The Apple II division was notably not invited to the Macintosh launch event, uh, with the exception of Woz himself. So all of them were like sitting at Apple watching <laughs> the Mac event wow. on TV. Yeah, that's, that's not very nice. Also, the, the Apple II series was at least somewhat often not brought up in like investor meetings and stuff like that, which was really weird because it was the bulk of Apple's revenue <laughs> at this time. Yeah. Like it, it'd be like if Apple did like a, a press event today and just did not mention the iPhone a single time. Like that's kind of the scale yeah, we're talking about here. I wonder if it was kind of because they're dragging the product line along or it was just seen as like a cheaper option. I, mean, I wonder what the reason for that was. It was, I, I think it was mostly like internal politics, like just this rivalry going on and management was kind of preferring the Macintosh. Like that was seen as the way forward sort of, Yeah. which, you know, eventually it would be, but like in this moment in time, the Apple II was a huge success. People were still buying them and the Macintosh was not as capable and it was much more expensive. So that just like, that wasn't going to happen right now. <laughs> By early 1985, Steve Wozniak had quit Apple and said it had been, quote, going in the wrong direction for the last five years, quote. And he also sold most of his stock in the company at that point. Several other people in the Apple II division left around the same time, including marketing manager Dave Larson, Apple IIc developer Joe Enos, engineering manager Peter Quinn, and former Apple IIx project leader Ida Cole, which uh, I can... That makes sense to me. Like, if they're being treated that way, yeah, I'd probably go work somewhere else if I could. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially, I mean, an Apple at this point, you know, they're probably a, a big company, but they weren't as, I don't think they were as prestigious as they are today, right? So, you know, leaving probably wasn't as big of a, a decision for them as much as probably would have been today. You know, they're probably just like, oh, you know, they're not yeah. paying attention to us. We're out of here. Yeah, they weren't Meanwhile, the richest today, company like, on earth yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so work continued on an upgraded Apple II, and rumors about it were ramping up as software developers were given early access. And the computer was finally revealed in September 1986 as the Apple II GS, with the G standing for graphics and the S standing for sound. I have a, a part of a New York Times article from the time by Andrew Pollock. They said... The new Apple II GS to be produced in Singapore should help the sales of the Apple II line, which is aimed primarily at elementary and secondary schools and at the home market. The computers have faced challenges from the International Business Machines Corporation and the Tandy Corporation in the education market. In the home market, the Apple line has been hurt by low-priced clones of the IBM personal computer and by the Commodore Amiga and Atari ST, machines that have superior sound and graphics. The Apple II GS, the GS stands for graphics and sound, should put Apple back on a competitive footing. Software developers who have seen the machine say its color display is dazzling, though it is perhaps not as good at animation as the Amiga. The machine has a 16-bit microprocessor. The other Apple II computers can process only 8 bits of information at a time. The Apple II GS's biggest selling point, however, is that it will be able to run more than 90% of the software that is already available for the Apple IIe and IIc machines, and in many cases, run such programs three times as fast. But to take full advantage of the 2GS, new software would have to be written, 
Many leading software companies have already developed products for the machine, and Apple said 40 titles would be ready by Christmas. This new software will not run on the older Apple II machines. While sales of the Apple II GS are expected to be good, they are likely to be inhibited at first by the machine's price. The base unit without a disk driver monitor will retail for $1,000. A full system will sell for $1,900, compared to about $1,000 for a similar Atari ST. Moreover, the primary and secondary school market is one in which buying decisions are made slowly, and sales after a few years of rapid growth have flattened out. And Apple is bound to lose market share, if only because its current share, more than 60%, is so large. Quote. Yeah, that's true. If they're going for the education market, probably wasn't moving as fast as it was back then. For you know, If they already had a working machine, I wonder if back then they really felt the need to, you know, really purchase a new machine just because, oh, it's 16 bits now instead of 8 bits. Yeah, and, like, there was certainly an element of schools where, like, you'd want better graphics and sound. Like, you know, th there were so many, like, educational games. Like, Oregon Trail, I believe, was initially an Apple II game. Yeah. All right, so now it's time to talk about the hardware of this computer. The CPU was a 16-bit WDC65C816 which was running at 2.8 megahertz. And there is also a one megahertz mode for running legacy Apple II software because a lot of that software didn't work correctly on, on faster machines, so it needed to slow down for those. And of course, like Apple said earlier, that only about 90% of existing software was working for this, so it wasn't perfect compatibility. One of the things that gets brought up with this with this computer a lot is that Apple intentionally limited the Apple II GS's CPU speed so that it wouldn't cannibalize sales from the Macintosh. And Interesting. I I couldn't find a good source for that. I, I, I couldn't find anything good like proving or disproving that, I'll say. So like maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I'm not entirely sure. I found one summary that mentioned Apple CPU supplier would only certify the CPU at four megahertz. And then I guess Apple chose an even lower 2.8 megahertz speed. I'm not quite sure what the difference there is. Um, maybe there were like manufacturing yield issues for the CPU because on paper, this is capable of up to 14 megahertz. But okay. I don't know. I don't know if that was like an option at this point in time. Like maybe that was only once they got their, you know, factories going for this. Uh, that's interesting. If it was to kind of limit, uh, you know, sales and not to lower sales of the Macintosh, it does sound like a very Apple thing to do. Yeah, and like, but based on how the everything was going earlier, uh, that seems plausible. But yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. All right, so the base configuration of the Apple II GS had 128 kilobytes of RAM, which was upgradable to eight megabytes. And it supported all Apple II graphics modes, as well as a new 320 x 200 and 640 x 200 graphics modes, with up to 4,096 colors. The sound chip was an S-Connect 32 with 16 stereo voices. One of the voices was reserved for system beeps. Uh, there were seven expansion slots, RGB output, an Apple desktop bus port, which was the same one used on Mac computers of the time. And it would actually, this is actually the port that would continue to be used until Apple adopted USB in like 
the original iMac. And it also had composite video, it had a joystick port, it had audio output, and a few other expansion options. Again, this was a very, like, expandable computer. Like, this, this was like a PC. So yeah. you could slot in more cards, you could do a lot of crazy stuff. However, as that article earlier mentioned, there was no monitor, no hard drive, and no floppy drive included with this computer. So... Unless you already had an Apple II and you were like upgrading, you you'd have to pay a lot more than that for a usable computer. And the storage situation was further complicated by the fact that older Apple II computers used five and a quarter inch floppy disks, while the Apple II GS was built for higher capacity three point five inch floppy disks. So if you wanted to use most of the software made for the Apple II, as well as like games and software made for the 2GS, you probably needed one of each. So that's getting more expensive. I found one ad that said that in October of 1985, the five and a quarter inch drive was priced at $299, which was about $845 in 2023. And then at that same point in time, the three and a half inch drive was three ninety nine, which was over a thousand dollars in twenty twenty three. So, because of the weird position this computer's in, like it gets very expensive uh, if you want to like go all out. Now, one of the cool budget options with this computer is that Apple did sell an upgrade kit where you could turn an Apple II E into an Apple II GS. So it was like swapping out the like motherboard and they even gave you like a little like replacement sticker for the outside. So your computer oh, could cool. say two GS instead of two E. Oh, that's really interesting that they would offer that. Yeah. Definitely not something we would we would ever see today. <laughs> now <laughs> here, yeah. here swap swap the motherboard to get the new iPhone fifteen. <laughs> the Apple two GS shipped with ProDOS sixteen, which was an upgraded version of the disk operating system used on older Apple II machines, which was renamed to ProDOS 8. When Apple released this computer, there was a very simple program launcher. Um, so it, it could like list all of your programs you had open on any available drive. So like at least you didn't need to type in commands to find your programs, but it, it wasn't like a desktop that we're familiar with. Okay. It, it was just like a like a launcher. And so, so ProDOS, I, I'm not too versed in my operating systems before probably like 2000. Uh, ProDOS was developed by Apple. Yeah, it, but it used uh, Microsoft Basic. So like you could write your own basic programs in it um, or you could, you know, use other ones. It was, it's very limited. So kind of just okay. like uh, a lot like MS-DOS, like there wasn't a lot in the operating system itself. like. Not really any drivers, not really uh, like APIs for applications. Like when you were writing software for the Apple II and, and the 2GS at this time, you were still doing like a lot of the work yourself. Now, in May of 1987, Apple released System Software 2.0, which included a desktop environment called the Apple II Desktop, which was uh, not actually made by Apple. It was based on a third party program called Mouse Deck. And it was also pretty buggy, so that wasn't a great option. Mm -hmm. Now, later that year, in September of 1987, Apple released System Software 3.1, which replaced that basic launcher and the Apple II desktop with this new thing called the Apple II GS Finder. And this looked a lot more like the Macintosh's Finder desktop. 
um, except that it was in color. This was only a few months after the release of the first color Mac, the Macintosh 2. So this was kind of a, this is still pretty impressive. By 1988, two years after the Apple II GS was introduced, there still wasn't a lot of native software available. Some companies were postponing or canceling plans to develop 2GS software, choosing instead to continue investing in the regular Apple II or just work on the Macintosh platform. And part of that was like, this was like, you know, weird, expensive upgrade computer. And part of it was the problem that a lot of other computers from this era had, like the uh, Commodore 128, where it had a compatibility mode for a lower power system. So a lot of companies look at this and like, okay, we can make one thing for the Apple II and one thing for the 2GS, or we can just make one for the Apple II and it'll run on the 2GS, it just won't be quite as good. And we can save a lot of time and money. Yeah, makes the most sense, I think. Yeah. Or again, they worked on the Macintosh because it was, it was pretty clear like that was eventually going to be the main thing. It just wasn't quite there yet. One of the most uh, interesting examples of this was AppleWorks, which was the most popular Apple II program at this time, uh, which was a, it was like a productivity suite. So it had a word processor, it had a spreadsheet, and it had a file manager. And that was like the Apple II program. Like you bought an Apple II, that's like one of the first things you probably end up buying. There wasn't a 2GS version of that until late 1988. So like a lot of people were buying this computer that have like, oh, great, upgraded graphics and sound. And they're just running the same exact software they were running before because there just wasn't a yeah. lot available. And when the uh, optimized version did arrive, uh, which was called AppleWorks GS, it, it did have like this Mac-like interface and it was very great piece of software. But it was priced at 249 and it required one megabyte of RAM, which was more than that base configuration. So hopefully oh, you already upgraded your <laughs> Apple II. <laughs> what, is, what are they doing with that? Yeah. I don't know how long Apple sold the 2GS with that little amount of RAM, but yeah, uh, this, this computer got pretty pricey um, if you really yeah. wanted to use it. Um, yeah, you, you, get, you get the computer and... You already have to upgrade it to start using the software that came two years later. It's the best software for the system. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. In September of 1988, Apple introduced an overhauled operating system for the Apple II GS called GSOS. And this was much closer to a real operating system than like ProDOS. It had built-in functions for handling keyboard input, displaying text and graphics, rendering the mouse, connecting to printers and modems, and more like it had a driver model. So uh, companies making products for this could just make drivers that plugged into this. The desktop environment seen by the user was still the same system software with the finder that Apple already had, but there's more utilities and some other new features. One of the really cool parts about GSOS is that it had a very simple uh, driver system. So literally all you had to do if you bought like I don't know, like a, a MIDI keyboard for, for your Apple II GS or like a weird storage uh, hard drive. All you had to do was copy the driver file into a driver's folder and it would just be recognized immediately. Oh, wow. That is very cool. Apple also developed a feature called File System Translator, which allowed more types of disks and file formats to work with the Apple II GS. So initially, GSOS included drivers for ProDOS disks, 
uh, and CD-ROMs. So now we've got a we've got a video to watch. Uh, we've got a demo from the Computer Chronicles, uh, starting from uh, fifteen minutes and twenty four seconds. Yes. Yeah. All right. So go okay. on three, two, one, go. With us in the studio now is Ann Bachtold, product manager for the Apple IIGS, and next to Ann is Stu Roberson, director for marketing with Activision. Yeah, and over the years we've seen various versions of the Apple II. Uh, mm -hmm. We just saw the C Plus and so forth. How do you differentiate, uh, differentiate the GS from the rest of the Apple line? The GS is the top of the line for the Apple II product family, and it sells into both consumer as well as education markets, but it's really the most powerful platform we have. But it is still an Apple II. Oh, it's compatible. definitely an Apple II, and okay. it runs all the Apple II software yeah. that's available. Uh, can you uh, show us what, uh, what it looks like? What you're working sure, with sure. The key thing, Anne, is really the operating system. Yes, it's not a definitely. new machine, it's a new yeah. operating system. The GS has the been out for almost two years, and what I'm booting up right now is the new Apple II GS system software, version 4.0, mm -hmm. which we recently introduced about a month ago at Apple Fest. Well, while it's booting up, uh, mm -hmm. can, could you, have you identified the customer base now? I obviously have over the past two years. Who buys the GS? Um, people who are interested in doing home productivity, families, mm -hmm. and um, we have a very large education base in both K through 12 areas as well as some college base. But it's primarily a K through 12 machine and home productivity machine mm -hmm. for families. Okay. So, what we're booting into right now is basically the heart of the of the new system software, which is GSOS, the new operating mm -hmm. system. And some of the improvements that GSOS brings to the GS are, first of all, increased disk access, which, as you can see, definitely speeds the boot time of the system over our previous system software. And we've also introduced the concept of file system translation. And essentially, what file system translation allows us to do is um, access data files from other operating systems. Mm -hmm. And um, what we've done is we've created new tools called FST or file system translators, mm -hmm. which allow us to do that. And one of the things I'd like to demonstrate today is um, the file system translator for the High Sierra file system. And as you can see, we've got a system right here that's configured with CD-ROM. And um, one of the things that we can do is, through using the High Sierra FST, we can actually um, access applications CD-ROM applications such as Bookshelf, which is from Microsoft, and bring it right into Multiscribe. And bring it right mm -hmm. into Multiscribe. is a very popular GS mm -hmm. word processing program. A lot of our users have it. Um, so what I am right now, I'm in a Multiscribe file, and what I'm going to do is go into my disk area, and I'll go ahead and scan through some of my different volumes here until I bring up Bookshelf, and I'll go ahead and open a Bookshelf file. Let's just say I want to access Bartlett's quotations, okay. for instance. And I've actually imported a, a, a data file from Bookshelf into my Multiscribe package. And this really opens up the world of CD-ROM for our users, and especially our education customers are very interested in, in being able to access all the data that you mm -hmm. can find on CD-ROM applications. Uh, what other kind of applications do you, do you really see in the CD-ROM area? Um, well, CD-ROM is really a, a new industry for us, and it's really exploding, and, and we're supporting it now with um, the CD-ROM drive that we introduced in March. And this is the first time we've actually supported it on the Apple II line. Okay. So mm -hmm. any large storage um, application, you know, this one is, is a good example. Um, I guess encyclopedia. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Quickly, Ann, could, you, could you run us back to the operating system and sure. show us some of the new tools that are in the OS? So, yeah, that's the... That's the 2GS. It looks a lot like uh, early Mac, the software they're showing off. Yeah, that's, that's what I noticed as well. Um, it's pretty cool. I, uh, I think the FST stuff was awesome, especially for that time. It's something I feel like they should kind of bring back these days, all the different um, 
file systems that we have. You know, if you're on Mac and you plug in, or I guess it's the other way around. If you're trying to, I don't know, I've got USBs that I got to reformat here and there to use it on the different operating systems. I feel like um, kind of step backwards from from that. And they they made it seem like it was pretty easy, you know, to bring in files from other operating systems, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. So later in that clip, which is also linked in the show notes if you want to watch this yourself, uh, later in that demo is a paint program from Activision. And it shows off some of the graphics capability of this computer, like what this computer can actually do. And this was really impressive to me. So go on three, two, one, go. Uh, how important is the 2GS as a product line to software developers like Activision? Well, Activision is really dedicated to the Apple 2GS and to that education and home marketplace that Ann had mentioned. Uh, to the large growing developer base, I think you're seeing a lot more activity in the GS as some of the original Apple II developers have now started shifting their emphasis over to the new machine. Do you have any idea what the size of that market is now? Right now, there's over 300,000 2GS is installed, and that's mm -hmm. growing. Mm -hmm. uh, we anticipate, as what happened last year, that during the Christmas quarter, they'll sell more Apple 2GSs than any other Apple mm -hmm. CPU. Stu, you've got a paint program from Activision, uh, which takes advantage of the graphics of the GS. Describe it and show it to us. Yeah, this is Paintworks Gold, and Paintworks Gold is one of eight products that we make for the Apple 2GS. Paintworks Gold was derived from Paintworks Plus, which is a 512K version of the product for ease of use and has made its way into many schools. What we're going to take a look at here are some of the advanced features that you can do with the 2GS using Paintworks Gold. Now, the image it's going to load is one that you may have seen. It's the Taj Mahal. And we're going to use two features, slippy colors, which mm -hmm. is a unique feature, and then masking colors to make the Taj Mahal actually reflected in the pool below. What Slippy Colors actually allows you to do is define colors for your lasso tool to slip around. So we're going to define all the colors that are used in the sky. Then we're going to choose our lasso tool and select the Taj Mahal. Mm -hmm. You'll note once I have released this that just the Taj Mahal is selected. This allows you to pick out objects that you want from any painting. Now we're going to go ahead and flip this Taj Mahal around to paste it down below. So we'll just flip it vertically. Now we have our Taj. Now I'm going to move the screen around a bit. So first we'll cut this out, grab our handle. Now let's paste in the Taj Mahal. As we move it up, now we have a perfect reflection. Mm -hmm. Well, near perfect because you can see it's overlapping the grass. Well, that's where masking colors comes in. We can actually mask these colors so that you can paint behind them or mm -hmm. around them. Show us how you do that. I'll go ahead and mask some colors here. And I'm going to mask every single color and then unmask the colors that may be in the water. Now you'll note as it has made its selection that instantly the Taj goes behind. In fact, you can actually paint behind the mm -hmm. other objects that you see here on the screen. So that was cool. Yeah, pretty cool software. It's, it's funny hearing Activision uh, as like computer software. You know? <laughs> Yeah, when's when's Call of Duty coming to the the two GS? <laughs> yeah, I was pretty impressed when they started um, bringing the reflection behind the the image. That was pretty cool. So after this point, Apple keeps working on the software. In May of 1989, Apple released System Software Five for the two GS, which included several performance improvements. 
including a new feature called Express Load, which made certain programs load up to eight times faster. According to Apple2History.org, AppleWorks GS went from taking four minutes to load to as little as one minute with the new system update. Goes back to the era we're in where it takes four minutes to load the like Word application, basically. Yeah. I mean, one minute to boot, that's, you know. Those read and write times were not good. Yeah, yeah. So then Apple released System Software 6.0 in March of 1982, which was ultimately the last major update for the 2GS. It added full read and write support for Macintosh HFS disks, so you could read and write files saved from a Mac, uh, as well as read-only access for older Apple II disks and Apple Pascal disks. The Finder was redesigned almost from scratch, with a new Windows menu for switching between all of the windows you had open, and better support for uh, going through subfolders. There were also a lot of new and updated drivers. There were some changes to the control panel, which was like the settings, um, and some other stuff. But uh, around this time, the, the Apple II GS and the Apple II series as a whole was on the decline, definitely. Um, part of this was on Apple, because they reportedly told software developers to not create new programs for the 2 series because it was going to be discontinued soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that doesn't really help their case there. That would do it. <laughs> yeah. Um oh. and then as early as 1988, Apple executives were saying that no more models would be produced in the Apple 2 series, which was 2 years after the 2GS was introduced. So, ideally when you want to be ramping up your new platform, Someone from Apple's like, no, this is the last one. Yeah. Nah, nah, yeah, that doesn't really instill confidence in anyone who wants to afford it. No. And there were rumors of a new Apple II GS model with a higher resolution screen and faster CPU, but that never became real. There were eventually third-party like accelerator cards that mm. uh, did boost the performance of this computer, but not a lot of stuff was really built for those because then you're, you know, if I'm making a game, then I have to, then my, my market is like a subcategory of a subcategory of a subcategory. So like my game's going to be for eight people in total. Yeah. Like, yeah. Literally at that point. I wonder, oh, man, I guess overclocking was, so you mentioned, we mentioned before that the CPU was capable of like being a lot faster or, you know, if any, Anything was really uh, available at the time for like overclocking, or was it more of just like hobbyists trying to, you know, do something um, like that, or if that was even possible? You might have been able to replace the chip with like one of the newer manufactured ones, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where the the limit was. I know definitely like accelerator cards kind of just boosted general system performance, and then you could you know upgrade the mm -hmm. RAM to, um, I think it was eight megabytes. So you could do a lot yeah. more at that point. And there was still, like, you know, people at Apple who cared about this computer and they were still working on it. Like, the fact that it got huge system upgrades, uh, like, every year it was on the market was kind of cool. But support from third-party developers was still an issue, and there was a lot of competition from 16-bit and 32-bit computers, uh, not, not to mention the Mac, again. There was also the the issue where schools were still heavily invested in the Apple II platform. So like ideally this would be the market that you would sell an Apple II GS to. 
but mm -hmm. a lot of them never made that jump because again they're schools and they already bought all the computers and they still work so right yeah and eventually apple had an upgrade option for those they started selling the macintosh lc which was like a more compact desktop mac and they produced an apple 2e card for that so it was like mm. you buy this mac and you get this card which is like an apple 2e on a single card and oh wow with that upgrade you have a mac that can run mac software and apple 2 software so oh, that's really cool that's kind of like the upgrade path and that's also how you sell the schools on buying a mac it's like hey you know you can you can still use all the software you bought yeah that's a much better way of you know getting them to upgrade than to just release this computer and a few years later just be like yeah we're gonna discontinue this that's yeah <laughs> So finally, in late 1992, Apple announced that it was ending production of the 2GS. Apple said it had considered building an Apple 2GS card for the Macintosh LC, which would give owners of this computer a migration path, because that card that Apple made didn't work with 2GS software. So if you had invested oh. into the 2GS system, you're like, ah, well, I guess I'm done now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gotta toss all oh, this I out. See. And, like, Apple said they were considering that, but it would have cost as much as the entire Mac, this one card. So mm -hmm. that's kind of why they didn't do it. 2GS uh, just, you know, discontinued, and the Apple IIe, uh, which was the just normal Apple II, but it was, like, the upgradable version, that remained available for another year, but it was discontinued uh, one year after the 2GS uh, in late 1993, which was the official end of the Apple II series. So after that point, Apple was only selling Macs. The 2GS still had like a, a life after that point. New software and games uh, continued to trickle out for the 2GS after it's discontinued. One of the more notable games for this is a port of Wolfenstein 3D, which was oh. originally planned uh, to be released in 1995 as a commercial release. Like, this is a game you go out and buy. But it had some, like, development issues, so it got passed to another developer and then to another developer. And at a certain point, uh, it was so old that its software open-sourced the game. <laughs> so <laughs> then they, like, couldn't really sell it as a commercial product anymore. The developer who was working on it, I guess, kind of, it turned into just, like, a like a hobby and yeah. it was eventually developed. Uh, the developer's name is uh, Ninja Force, and it was released in 1998. It was a very good port, though. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, if you still had an Apple II GS, you were you were rocking. Bringing out of the closet after what <laughs> six years of discontinuation. Like, finally, the game's out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, breaking out your Wii to play Just Dance 2021. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and especially funny, 98, that's the same year Half-Life came out. <laughs> yeah, oh man. So, the, yeah. yeah, people are already moving on to like 3D games and where you're, you're waiting for Wolfenstein on the 2GS. That's why. Yeah. They... It was a great port though, so that's cool. And like that developer still kept making a 2GS software. They made a Bomberman clone called Kaboom, which was released in 2015. A little bit more recently, uh, another developer created a centipede-like game for the 2GS called Bugs, with the GS capitalized, which I think is funny. <laughs> and that was released in 2021. There's still like a, a little bit of a homebrew community around this computer. I, I don't know yeah, if homebrew really cool. is the right word, but 
yeah like i would say like a niche community yeah that's really cool yeah that's the that's the apple 2gs and I, I this computer is really interesting because there's a whole alternate history theorizing that people do with this computer which is like what if apple gave this computer a chance right because like yeah almost immediately they were sabotaging this like i don't know if the if the slowdown thing was real but like apple executives saying like while they were selling this computer like don't make software for this like yeah that's really weird yeah it would have been interesting to kind of see where it would have gone if they actually put an effort told people to make software for it not just abandon it because yeah it's a, it's a weird it's a weird case it's uh got an expensive computer it's on a different platform than the previous one and their other model the macintosh so it's already they're already balancing what three platforms there and they they want to push this and then showing the opposite that they don't really want to support it so uh, it's very interesting yeah i wonder what what it would have turned into if they had a different mindset do you have any plugs anything you'd like to share oh i guess my plug is uh uh, just really my my website. I have a little you know personal portfolio website, lucasbastos.com. Um, you can check out stuff I've worked on, um, some side projects, uh, previous projects. I got my GitHub on there, LinkedIn. If anyone wants to connect, um, but kind of what I'm working on, I haven't I haven't worked on it for like last month or so. So I really need some motivation to continue. I am trying to write a um, NES emulator in Rust. So I've mm. got. I've got most of the CPU commands down, but it's kind of it's kind of cool trying to emulate. Um, That's uh, cool. six five zero two. Yeah, I don't know. Once I get the graphics part, I might struggle a little bit, but yeah, kind of kind of working on the CPU part right now. So it's been it's been pretty cool to kind of learn. I first time learning Rust too, so learning a new language and trying to write an emulator for the first time. Everyone, go check that out and uh, go uh, email Lucas with motivation <laughs> yes send your best motivational memes oh yes memes would be appreciated tech tales is on twitter at tech tales show and on mastodon at tech tales at mas.to the links for those are in the show notes along with all of the sources and the video we watched and links to support the show if you want to do that and Thank you for listening, and we'll be back in your podcast feed soon. See ya. Apple 2 for A.